the last couple of weeks, I've found myself again and again being reminded uh, of just, I suppose, the fragility of our lives, but also the brevity. Our lives are pretty short. I, I guess God is trying to tell me something, maybe perhaps us something corporately. Uh, it happens in small little ways, sometimes just little, those niggling little illnesses, which I've kind of had been running around every now and then, you know, for the last few weeks. But it really kind of drew onto me when I went to see David Riley, actually, this week on Thursday, who's been uh, in hospital, as Rachel just prayed. He's had complications with pneumonia and had to have you know, fluid on his lungs sort of drained out. It's in a pretty bad way, it has to be said. That's kind of got in my mind. I think also just about a mile, maybe 800 metres from this church building, as you saw in the news this week, a mum uh, smothered her two children to death and um, then tried to commit suicide herself. We see there, don't we, the fragility of life and its brevity as well. I hope you have been praying for Mr and Mrs Boots as they're, as they're known. And especially the husband who came home to find his children dead. And his wife, I can only imagine, in the most terrible situation. Life is fragile, isn't it? And it's short. I say this carefully, but I have the privilege of sometimes doing funerals. And these words are said at funerals. Psalm 103. And I think it brings perspective where the world sometimes misleads. It says this, God knows how we're formed. He remembers that we are dust. And our days are like grass. It flourishes like a flower in a field. And the wind blows over it and it's gone. And, it, and its place remembers it no more. I guess we don't often think of ourselves like that, do we? We're so busy and we, we appear so strong and so healthy and robust. And life expectancy in our country, of course, is on the rise. And that's good and appropriate medical advances and kind of the standard of living is good. And we feel, therefore, generally very safe, very secure, sometimes a little bit invincible, don't we? Certainly when we go down ski slopes, I've heard some of you. But perhaps that's misleading. I was speaking to a, a friend of mine who's a pastor in Nigeria. And he was telling me, I think I mentioned this the other day, that 14 members of his church had fallen asleep, as he described it, in Christ. That is, they were blown to pieces as a suicide bomber drove into their church, an Islamic extremist. But you see, given the general comfort and ease of our lives in this country, the, the way that we live, I, I want to ask the question as we begin and looking at this Psalm 46, life may be fragile elsewhere, but really, is this a kind of is this an appropriate song for us to sing? As words you just heard read, they're right in front of you. You know, is it appropriate for us, given our comfortable and safe lives? I don't think so. And that is the extraordinary thing. I think about this psalm. It's too big. It's too grandiose for us. It's, it, that is, we don't live in places, as described here, where the threat of seas raging and mountains crumbling into the sea. We live in, and sort of nations roaring as well, we live in relative political stability. And we ought to be thankful for that. But again, that is a kind of the point of this psalm. The psalmist, and we see there, superscription, as we mentioned last week, um, it, it's of the sons of Korah, that's who wrote it. 
Uh, They use the most extreme examples here to show that even then, even when the unthinkable is, uh, situations may happen. We know we may never experience the things in this psalm. But even then, God is a refuge. God is a refuge. And that is all we need to know. And essentially he's saying, yeah, you can come home to your worst nightmare as Mr. Boots did this week. And you can lose everything. You can lose your job, your security, everything that you depend on, maybe a relationship. You can lose the love of your life. You can even lose life itself. And all you need to know and trust in your heart is that God is a refuge and strength and say the Lord Almighty is with me. You can even stand, if you like, to put it in really big terms, like this psalmist. You can stand on the beach in front of a tsunami. And you can say, with truth in your heart, God is a refuge. The Lord Almighty is with me. Is this psalm too big for many of us? Absolutely. But that is the point. Because even in these huge, what are in this, um, in this psalm, you know, cosmic, they're universal things. Even in those things, you can stand with your backing group. You know, the sons of Korah. Imagine them as a backing group. That would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? You know, and uh, you can sing these words to the tune of Alamoth. That's what Alamoth kind of is. You know, I guess that's a pretty rocking tune and whatever, you know. Let's imagine soft rock or if you like. And as you sing, you sing with this perspective. That whatever you face in life, whatever turmoils may come your way, these words here are no less true. These words are no less comforting. And these words are are no less transforming for you in the circumstances that you may face. God is a refuge and strength. The Lord, the Almighty, is with me. And therefore we respond as it does at the end. Be still and know that God is God. The psalmist needs to know this because we look at, get to our first point here. Both, two things are going on. Nature and nations will roar. Now, the psalmist uses the same language in the original to describe the both, both, both the massive and frightening circumstances that are happening in nature in the first few verses, but also of the, of the political upheaval as described in verse 6. You see that? So waters roar, nations roar. Now, we don't know exactly what each of those look like here. It's not kind of spelt out, is it? What we do know is they, they seem to be chaotic. That is, they seem to, if you like, dissolve the order established at creation under God's rule. And let's think of the nature example, if you, if you want, for a moment. It's like, if you like, the, the flood in Genesis, which we've been looking at in our home groups this year. The, the created boundaries of waters have gone. So coastlines, riverbanks. The picture here is of waters rising. And as a result... They are exceeding and ultimately just eroding and destroying their intended boundary. It's an act, if you like theologically, it's an act of decreation. It's a reversal of the created order. And it goes against 
what God has intended. Now look at it, verse 2. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging... The picture is, is frightening, isn't it? There is a lack of control, it seems. Now, of course, we may never personally experience, you know, kind of such kind of acts of creation and being in this kind of situation. We live in a fairly stable area. I'm not sure the wandle is much to be fearful about. Um, But, you know, we may never see this. But we might be frightened by that thing in your mind right now. You see the point. You see, nations and nature will roar. These are massive things in comparison to what most of us will ever face in our lives. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take us through these seven verses and just show us four things, four R's. I've put them down in your sheets there. Quick things to learn from these seven verses that I think help us to understand how to respond to all that we learn here. Firstly, I want us to remember. Remember what? That God is our refuge and strength. It's it's pretty obvious. Um, That is, we're remembering there his sovereign and eternal power. Secondly, we'll respond. That is, we will not fear, the psalmist says. Thirdly, is a reality. And we'll get to this, I'll clarify it. Some things fall, other things don't fall. But we'll get that in a minute. Um, And then fourthly, rest. Rest in the fact that the Lord is with us, the Almighty is with us. Therefore, we need to start living as those under his protective care. So firstly then, remember, God is our refuge and strength. Now notice this, and I was was sharing this with David this week um, in hospital. It doesn't say God will release us in times of trouble. That is, God never promises throughout his word just to remove you from the difficulties that you may face in your life. Those testing times, so that you feel no pain. You didn't do it for his son. Do you expect it yourself? You shouldn't. No, God promises that in and through those trials of life, when nations and nature roars, whatever it may be, that he will be a refuge. Let me illustrate that. When I was, um, I can't remember, I was about 1920. I did a bit of mountaineering. I mean, we're talking really rubbish mountaineering, but I did a bit when I was younger. And we were up in Scotland. We were walking along something called the Anakiga Ridge, which is near Glencoe. And um, it was in the middle of winter, lots of snow around. And it got down to about minus 20 with wind chill factor. And it was quite exciting up on this ridge and so on. But we got cold, seriously cold. We were underprepared. And then we saw a little hut. You know those little mountain huts, climbers huts that you can just sort of clamber into. And about five or six of us got into this little hut. Very tight we were. And we kept each other warm uh, for about three hours. Now without that hut, I guess some of us would have really suffered from probably frostbite. And it could have got a lot worse. In a sense that hut was a refuge. The thing is, the storm didn't go away. It was still utterly freezing in that hut. Uh, It was was just a, a terrifying situation for all of us. But we didn't die. And we survived. The hut was protection. A refuge when we were in trouble. And God is that. 
He's a refuge and strength to us in times of trouble. He doesn't always remove us from the trouble we may face in our lives. But rather in his power and his love, he protects us. He is a refuge and strengthens us in the process. And we'll see how in a moment. So firstly, let's remember. First R, remember. God is a refuge and strength. Second R, respond. We will not fear. That's how the sons of Korah respond. And this is a real call. It's a, it's a call to radical faith. As we remember God's nature and power, we're called to respond. Not fearing with what we see with our eyes. But rather trusting what we know in our hearts and our minds. Blind faith? Absolutely not. It is educated faith, based on evidence in history. As you read throughout God's word and the history of God with, acting with his people. But also we're called to respond, we will not fear because of what we know now. In our own lives and seeing how God has worked in our own lives. So we will not fear about what keeps us up at night. and What kind of disturbs our sleeping. We will not fear those things. Because we put our faith in something much bigger, much stronger, and much more powerful. What do you fear? Is it maybe loneliness, failure in your job or in your home life, misfortune, loss, whatever it may be? Is that fear there in part because you will not trust God with that particular circumstance of your life? And in essence, we each have a choice to make. We can either trust ourselves to get us through that, that trouble, that situation. Or we can trust the creating, all-powerful, sovereign God. And the choice is there for each of us to make. And the psalmist makes his choices. I'm going to trust God. Uh, you know, my refuge, my strength. And therefore, as a result, I will not fear. That is his response. But what is the foundation of that utterly radical faith in, this, in the psalmist? Thirdly, reality. See, the reality that, that the psalmist draws upon for his radical faith is the fact that in his mind he knows that, as I said, some things fall and some things do not fall. That is, the mountains that fall into the sea, as we see there, literally and, or metaphorically in our lives, things like, and catastrophes may happen. But something doesn't fall. Look at verse 5. Let's go from verse 4 actually. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Uh, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. Now between the first few verses of this psalm and the second little chunk that we're on to here now. There is a huge contrast made in these verses. And it's intentionally there. So from, you go from threat Big nature, big natural disaster kind of threat to now a sense of calm. And you go from chaos in the first section to order, decreation to creation. And where can this be found? And you kind of ask yourself, do you want to be there? What it's speaking about? And how can the, the psalmist derive such radical faith for life today from this place? And the place is the city of God. Try typing that into your sat-nav and see what happens. I haven't tried it, but it'd be quite interesting, wouldn't it? Now to the psalmist, clearly, he would have been referring to Jerusalem. 
and to Mount Zion, the holy place where God dwelt in the temple. And if you want to clarify that, Psalm 48 kind of explicitly makes note of, of where the dwelling place of God in Mount Zion as, as Jerusalem here being referred to. God's presence in Jerusalem, you see, was a continued uh, kind of source of confidence for the, the people of Israel. Hence, God is within it. She will not fall. But that absolute confidence that she will not fall can be misleading if it's not understood in the context, in sort of parallel with God's covenant promises with his people Israel. See, the psalmist isn't wrong here. But there were popular misconceptions of the time. And they were saying, oh, you know, the fortified city of Jerusalem was kind of an impenetrable refuge and protection. So, oh, let's do whatever we want. Let's completely ignore God because we're in this refuge. No one can touch us. Their confidence was in the place rather than the person of God in the place. And in Jeremiah 7 verse 4, the prophet warns against this kind of confidence in the temple, the place where God dwelt. His warning was not heeded and the people remained disobedient. They kept ignoring God and rejected the prophet's call to repent. And as a, as a result, God allowed the Babylonians to come in. And they sacked the city of Jerusalem and took God's people off to exile down in Babylon. See, she will fall. That is Jerusalem. But she will not fall. That is in the city of God, the place where God dwelt with his people. The psalmist, of course, is speaking directly about Jerusalem here in the context that this was written. But God himself is the ultimate place of security, the ultimate refuge, the ultimate strength. And when Jerusalem was sacked, the city of God remained because it remained with God's faithful people, even in exile. Later, of course, this, this city of God sort of language continues in the Old Testament and into the New. So when you get to Ezekiel, chapter 36 onwards to the end, that God made promises through the prophet Ezekiel that a new city of God would be formed, a new people, a new land, a new temple. There was growing expectation amongst the people of God that this new city would be formed and it would be formed through a Messiah who would usher in this new era. And that came, of course, ultimately in Christ. We see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, that the church had become the citizens of this new kingdom, of God's new city. But as this new city of God had been established through Jesus' death on the cross, welcoming us into the protective refuge of God's eternal power, there was still more. As Philippians say, we're citizens of God's city. Yes, we are, but we wait for something greater. And that is spelt out for us in the most amazing terms when you get to the last book of the Bible in Revelation, especially in chapter 21, where the, the heavenly city descends uh, for eternity and becomes our home. Of course, that language in Revelation is apocalyptic, so we take it as visionary rather than a literal kind of uh, thing. We don't know what it will exactly look like, but we know it's going to be good. And if you don't believe me, read Revelation 21. It's amazing. But it is still reality. That is, it will happen. The city of God will come to its, its full and eternal end, if you like. Chaos in creation will be transformed to order. Nations that rule will fall at the mighty voice of God we see here. That is the reality to come. But it ought to transform today. Radical faith and trust in God in all circumstances is rooted in this reality. 
that the created world, the nations of the world, and us, as the individuals of this world, those in Christ, and those not in Christ, there are two options. Either we will fall, or we will not fall. And so that question remains, are are you in the city of God that's being described here, that doesn't fall? That is the the city where God's protective, strengthening refuge comes over and now dwells in us by his spirit. That is the reality, that is the foundation of the radical faith expressed here in this psalm. Fourthly and lastly, rest. This is shown in the repeated refrain of the the psalm, shown in verse 7 and verse 11, and arguably also at the end of verse 3. Uh, with the word silah there at the end of uh, that verse. That basically means, we think, kind of chorus time. Off you go again, sing the chorus. But we, you know, that's argued about in many PhDs, and I don't want to go into that now. But um, the repeated refrain comes, obviously, in verse 7 and 11. It says, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Uh, I suppose I just want to briefly suggest, what a repeated refrain that would be in our lives. And a very helpful one, too. Because perhaps some of us need to start resting in the knowledge of this truth. That is, all too often, I think, we can state that, yeah, God is a refuge and strength. That's easy to say, isn't it? But we find it hard, don't we, to live it out day after day. So we struggle to let go of some parts of our lives to God because we think we may know best about these particular things. We think the way that we feel is right and above the way that God has commanded. Or that we just think, oh, his way, that's just a little bit too radical for us right now. We may have to make difficult decisions regarding jobs, perhaps even the use of our finances or relationships. And we do so so often with very little regard to what God objectively says and we just follow how we feel. And essentially we're saying to you, God, you're not good enough to be a refuge for me in that circumstance of my life. I'm not prepared to trust you. You've not got enough strength to get me through that, so I'm going to try it my own way. Thank you very much. Rest. Because the Lord is with us to guide us. He's our fortress. That just strength around us in every circumstance. Trust him with it. The last verses continue the theme of radical faith in God and circumstances, in all circumstances. And God calls us to here, secondly and lastly, and much more briefly, to be still and know that I am God. It's much more of a conclusion, this, because there's a lot of repetition in in this psalm. And uh, I want to quickly go through four hours again to help us kind of bring a bit of structure to this. But we're going to remember the power of God. We're going to respond, that is, be still and know that I am God, he says, that God is God. The reality is that the struggles that we've seen here, the roaring of the nations and the nature, that will cease, it will come to an end. And rest again repeatedly, because the Lord is our fortress. So firstly, remember the power of God. You see that in verse 8 and 9. Look at that if you can. Come and see the works of the Lord, the psalmist says. The desolations he has brought on the earth. But he makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the and so on and so on. God has worked in history, he said, the psalmist is showing here. Come and have a look. Get this open. Look at what God has done. Whenever a nation rises up, 
It does so under the supreme authority of God and therefore is answerable to God and will one day be judged by God for how they exercise the authority and the power that they've been given. And the psalmist invites us, says, look, look at what God has done throughout history. Come and see. Yes, he is terrifyingly powerful, but he is also perfectly just. So whatever you face right now, whatever your roaring in your life is, the circumstance, the circumstance which you feel is just too big, too great, however unjust it is, remember the power of God that one day it will be brought to justice through the immense and powerful work of God. Secondly, respond. Be still and know that God is God. Verse 10. It's a very famous verse, but let's read it. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, for the first time in the psalm, God now breaks in. First person, doesn't he? You see that? Essentially, he's demanding us. He's saying, cease. It's a military term, actually. Cease. Be still. Stop. Attention. Just for you army folk out there. Essentially, he's saying, Set your heart and your mind on me. Remember and respond to that God is God. And we are eternally safe in him. So often I find myself, and I guess you must do too, that you live a life that is so busy, so frenetic, but we're never still. When was the last time you actually sat in quiet, on your own, with God? Now, I don't think we can all be Charles Simeons. I was listening to a biography about him recently. and He got up at 4 a.m. every morning to spend three hours on his own in prayer with God. What a great man he was. I'm very thankful to God for that. Satan loves it though when we get another hobby. I'm not saying hobbies are bad. I like hobbies, by the way. Satan loves it when the TV is just on in the background. Satan loves it when we hurry and stress and just jam things into our diaries. Because it means we begin to focus fully on ourselves and not spend time with God and being still and knowing that God is God. Satan hates it when you take up your Bible and you go and find a quiet place, a quiet place. And when you begin to read and remember all that he has done, his amazing power throughout history and his justice and his love and his mercy, Satan hates it when you do that. And when you pray to your father, he despises that. Be still and know that I am God. I personally love it. I, I don't get many quiet time, really quiet times in a house with two boys and so on. But I love those moments when I've perhaps had a busy day and I've done a conference or something like that. And I've, I'm coming back on the train. And it's usually quite late at night and nothing's there to do. And I, I just 
I just sit there and there's, a, there's an empty carriage and I always book a quiet carriage. There's not an annoying man on a mobile phone saying, darling, I'm home in two minutes and you know, all this kind of stuff. I just love it that I can look out and it's dark and, it's, and I can just be still and know that God is God. Because it is then and only then that we do begin to think about our own lives and our significance before the almighty, powerful God that we see here who will bring justice. We begin at that point, don't we, to just see the significance of our own lives and our necessity for God being that refuge and strength. So respond. Be still and know that God is God. Thirdly, reality. It will cease. So verse 9 again. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Likewise, whatever we know and we feel and we experience in this life, however big the roar, if you like, from verse 1 to 3, We must know it will not last. The reality is that life is just a breath in comparison to the eternity that we will enjoy with glory in God. God in glory, sorry. So we are to be still before God and live as life is just a vapour's breath, if you like. And that means you will find you'll you'll want to invest more in what is to, to come today rather than just looking about what you can invest in right now, for the enjoyment right now. It means your security and your significance should be defined more by what is to come rather than by what we know now. I mean, what do you want for yourself? I was trying to contemplate this this week. What do I want for my children, my two boys, for example? Well, ultimately, I just want them to honour the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything else. I mean, everything else. What school they go to what clubs they belong to. Everything is utterly secondary and and near enough meaningless in comparison to the fact that I just want them to honour God. Be still and reckon with God in your life because the realities of the struggles that you may face right now, however big and all-consuming they may feel right now at this moment, they will cease. It will come to an end. That is the reality. And God will judge if you're facing injustice, but God will bring it to an end. Fourthly and lastly, rest. The Lord is with us, our fortress again. Verse 11, it's the refrain, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Let me just put this in a different perspective to to close very briefly. You'll know where I'm heading. But when Christ reached out his arms on the cross, the impenetrable fortress of the city of God was eternally established in that covenant. And if you want to be in that city, you enter one way. And you enter through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as shed on the cross, through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. The Lord Almighty is with us, and he is with us right now in this room by his spirit, because he is in our hearts if we have trusted in that life, death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Therefore, he's our fortress. Live like you are protected by that eternal fortress of Christ. And therefore, we can say we will not fear whatever circumstances we might face. Rather, we trust in the one who's faced it all so that we don't have to. God is our refuge and strength. He is ultimately in Christ. 
Therefore, be still. Whatever life throws at you, be still and know that God is God. Let's pray. Let's not pray. Let's be still and just have some quiet time on our own to spend with God.